This is The Ascending Life with Pastor Josh Blevins of Grace Calvary Chapel. This is not a message about physical exercise because at the top of the list, at the top of the list of our disciplines and our pursuits and our, the races that we run in life is this race that we're all in, the spiritual race. It is a race and a run of faith towards Jesus, towards heaven. That is not an option for the Christian. Whether we are Olympians or not, we have all competed in some kind of race. Maybe it was a fifth grade race around the playground, or maybe it was a full marathon. Either way, we had one end goal, to win. Today, Pastor Josh is going to be sharing a message about a race. However, this isn't the kind of race we typically think about. This is a spiritual race. It's difficult and exhausting, but in the end, holds the greatest reward we could ever receive. Now, here's Pastor Josh in the book of Hebrews chapter 12. As he begins his message, Jesus offers the better race. in Hebrews chapter 12. We are moving through four verses. And so we will read together. I'll read the odd number of verses if you would join together on the even verses. Paul writes this. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Lord, we pray that your word would go in us and through us and that it would not leave void or empty any space, Lord, that it would fill us completely and that our ears would be attentive to what the Holy Spirit might say through this living word of yours in regards to the things that you are challenging us with, encouraging us with, that are going on in our own lives. We know that you're able to do that, and and so we look to you to speak. In Jesus' name, amen. (laughs) And you can have a seat. I want, to, I want to get you guys' response to this phrase, okay? The joy of running. The joy of running. Anybody? I, I tell you what, that just strikes me the wrong way. Now, I swam in high school and in college, and partially because I was good at it and partially because I hated running. And so I didn't want to have anything to do with running. One of my best friends tried to start to get me running again this last year. And he said, oh, Josh, come on, we'll just do it light. (laughs) So, okay. And before I even get out there, right, I'm like telling myself, my knees are going to hurt, and 
my, my throat's going to hurt, and my side's going to hurt, and I'm going to get tired, and everything's going to feel heavy, and this is going to be miserable, like before I even started, right? So I'm already in the right mindset, and then he starts to give me some tips, right? Oh, well, try, try putting your head like this when you breathe, and try putting your feet up like this, and we'll just, you know, just take your, take your time, build endurance. And so we, we started doing that, and um, still hated it. And, but I, I, uh, about two months ago or so, I woke up one morning and the first thought that popped in my head is, I'm going to take a quick jog. And I, I had to kind of do a double take and go, wait a minute, <laughs> is, is that me? I don't know where that's coming from. And so I went out and I took a quick jog and I didn't like it still, <laughs> but I had a lot of good prayer time and so on and so forth. But, but I, I, you know, I, I am certainly not even close to the picture of discipline when it comes to running. It's been very inconsistent, and I haven't, I've, I've ceased to do it since. <laughs> but um, I did start to recognize when I was doing it a little more consistently that as my body built endurance, and as I started realizing some of the goals and some of the benefits and started seeing like where this could ultimately lead, that there was almost this dichotomy of like, yeah, this is hard, but there's something I enjoy about it. There's something that I look forward to about the end result of it. And while certainly, again, this is not a message about physical exercise, because at the top of the list, at the top of the list of our disciplines and our pursuits and our, the races that we run in life, is this race that we're all in, the spiritual race. It is a race and a run of faith towards Jesus, towards heaven, that is not an option for the Christian. It's not, well, if you like this event, you can do it, and if not, we'll just put you on the bench. Or you, can, you can be on the bench. It's not, it's not where God wants you. That's not where God intends for you to be when it comes to the race of faith. And this race of faith will be sacrificial. At times, it will be painful. At times, it will literally push you to your limits. But it's also worth it. And there is joy in running because we know what is at the finish line. And so the beginning of Hebrews chapter 12 is an exhortation to run the race of faith. How we do it, why we do it, and who we're doing it for. And Paul outlines four essential preparations that we need to equip ourselves with to run the race that God has put before us effectively. So we're going to dive right in. If you're jotting down your notes, number one is this, to run your race effectively. Paul tells us we need to know who our audience is. We need to know our audience. Notice in verse one, he says, therefore, coming off a chapter where he talked about all of the heroes chronologically of faith that ran their race of faith. And he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such great a cloud of witnesses, let us run. And so right there, he says, I want you to know your audience. And the picture immediately in Paul's mind is Roman Colosseum or amphitheater, where there are sporting events. They called them circuses back then. <laughs> and they were quite circuses. It's recorded at one chariot race 30,000 of the, of the attendees died uh, due to riots and, you know, political arguments. 
I don't know if we could even envision that happening and like, what, like a, go to a Chiefs game and everyone's like pulling out their knives and guns and everything. It's crazy. But Paul is witnessing here this idea where all eyes are on the participants, on the athletes who are about to participate in this sport. And he here speaks about the great cloud of witnesses. There are several interpretations here. Some say that the great cloud of witnesses is are angelic or spiritual beings, right? Angels and demons who are observing the Christian's life to see whether or not they're running their race of faith. And certainly that's not completely untrue, but I think the context is evident. Remember, when Paul wrote this, he didn't write it in chapter breaks. It was all one continuous letter. And so he just got done talking about all of the heroes of the faith and the races they ran believing in this God that they could not see and despite all odds against them and despite the loss of all things, even to their lives, they left us an example. And I believe that Paul is saying these that we just read about are our great cloud of witnesses. I don't know if you've ever flown, but sometimes when you're ascending or descending into a plane and you go into a cloud layer, what's all that you see? You're just surrounded by cloud. It's only cloud. And that's, that's what Paul wants us to know. There's an immense, innumerable number of saints who have gone before us who showed us what it's like to successfully and joyfully live a life of faith even through the trials and difficulties that you will experience in life. And it's almost a sense that they are there cheering you on, saying, you've got this, you can do this. And not merely by metaphorically, like their life is an example But the language here implies we are surrounded. In other words, they're alive. Their their person from heaven, almost in a sense, encourages and exhorts us and cheers us on in our pursuit of a life of faith. In a modern race, athletes are surrounded by fans and spectators who will cheer them on or boo them or idolize them. But this isn't what Paul had in mind. When Paul thinks of this, I want you to think of like, being a baseball player. It's one thing to be a baseball player and go out in front of like thousands of fans. But what if you're a baseball player and you go out and the stadium is filled with all of the greatest baseball players of all time? Mickey Mantle, Babe Ruth, Roger Clemens, Ty Cobb, Hank Aaron, Barry Bonds, you name it. If they achieve something successful in baseball, they're all there watching you, right? You feel a little different weight than you do going in front of the fans that might throw something at you or cheer you or boo you. You are now in the presence of people who have succeeded at what you're doing. And there's a weight, there's a motivation there that you feel. Notice the word witnesses here. It's the Greek word martus where we get the English word martyr. Literally those who have given their life to the very end for their faith. We are surrounded by people that didn't just merely trust God, but they trusted God until the very end with some of them even their lives. What kind of motivation is that? What kind of encouragement is that to say they did it and we too now have an obligation to do it? I think looking at our audience challenges us in four ways. When we read Hebrews 11 and we see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Jephthah and Samson and David and Noah, and Enoch, we see these people, and it should inspire four things in us. Number one, their example of faith should inspire us to trust God more. I don't know if you struggle at all at times with 
God's motive, God's provision, God's guidance, whether or not this path is going to get you where you need to go. Their lives tell us that God is always faithful. He is worthy to be trusted. Number two, their example of faith challenges us to no longer live in apathy, right? When you read about these guys, and it's not like they had half-hearted commitments to God. They were all in with everything they had, everything they owned, everything they were. So it doesn't allow us, when we read their, about their lives, to say, you know, God, I'll set my terms. I'll set my level of comfort. I'll set the boundaries in which I will follow you. No, it inspires us to never be in a place where we're comfortable, but we're always pushing the limits of faith so that we are in positions to trust God. Number three, their example of faith reminds us what the ultimate goal is. The ultimate goal is not success and achievement and possessions on earth. The ultimate goal is to finish our course that when Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant, we know that with everything that was within us, we live for eternity. We pursued heaven and the purposes of God. And then, of course, their example of faith reminds us that the cause of Jesus is worth everything. It's worth everything. And so as we look at these martyrs, these witnesses, we're surrounded by their stories and their testimonies and their life, and they cheer us on and they encourage us when we're weak and they strengthen us. And so we need to know that we have an audience that is watching us and that we are not alone in the race. But number two, in order to run this race effectively, We need to know our limitations. We need to know our limitations. Look at it as he continues. He says, therefore, because we're surrounded by such great a cloud of witnesses, let us take action. What's the action? Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. The command here to lay aside is frequent in Scripture, especially in the New Testament. It's the same exact word that Paul uses when he says to cast off the works of darkness or to put off the old man and all of its works and all of its lusts and all of its deeds. The word means a violent casting off or a violent throwing away. And here he says to lay aside two things, the weight and the sin that so easily entangles us. Now, he differentiates Weight and sin, because they are two different things, and he wants us to know that they are two different things. But here's what it tells me overall. I'll get into the specifics. But that one of the key elements to living the Christian life, listen carefully, is the willingness to get rid of stuff that is keeping you from God's best. That is a necessary element of the Christian life. The willingness to get rid of stuff that is keeping you from God's best. And notice he says weights and sin. When we look at the idea of a weight, what is a weight? Well, sin is obvious, right? We know what sin is. It's anything that is done in disobedience to God, correct? Right? It's, it's, it's morally wrong. It's ethically wrong. It's biblically wrong. We understand this. It's sin. Well, what is a weight? Here is the hard thing about weights. Weights are not necessarily bad things, but they're not necessarily the best things. They are things that are easier to excuse because it's like, well, it's not like I'm doing anything wrong. Yeah, but are you freed or without hindrance to run the race that God wants you to run without being tied up, without being hindered, without being wearied by things that God doesn't want you to carry? 
Most of the time, we get tired in following Jesus, not because the weight of Jesus is too much, but because we put too many weights on ourselves that Jesus has not asked us to carry. This is why Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What did he say? My yoke is easy and my burden is so heavy that it's going to smash you. No. It's light. You know what causes heaviness in life? It's when we become weighed down with unnecessary cares and anxieties and pursuits that keep us from experiencing the freedom and the joy of fully following Jesus without hindrance. When I swam competitively and started competing at higher and higher levels and going to finals and winning medals, I did something that when I was a freshman in high school and just started swimming, I swore I'd never do. I shaved my chest, my stomach, my legs, my feet, my arms, my armpits. Every visible piece of hair was gone. <laughs> That's silly. And not if you want to win a race, it's not silly. Because you begin to realize that hundreds of seconds count between the winner and the loser. And anything that, that causes drag, anything that causes a hindrance has to go. You have to modify your suit. You have to get the latest technology. You have to... And, and all people who play sports competitively who want to win understand this concept. You do things not to put extra hindrances on you. You might train with weight, but you're not going to look at the Olympic 100-meter final and see a guy there with ankle weights on. Back in the Roman times, please forgive the, the image. Don't spend too much time trying to imagine it. But we all know that Greek runners and Roman runners ran naked. They got up to the line. The clothes went off. Why? Because the last thing you want is to be going around a corner and you get tripped up on your robe. The idea of running is anything that causes me to be hindered or an extra weight or a burden or to become weary has to go so I can focus on the task at hand, and that is winning the race. My same friend who got me running, Adam, I mean, I'm not saying any names over here, he also taught me about rucking. You guys know what rucking is? Maybe if you're in the military, you know. It's when you uh, do a fast-paced walk with, you know, a 50-pound backpack with weights in it on your back, you know, and you start off, right? And you're just like, I got this, no problem. And then a mile and a half in, you're like, it's starting to burn, <laughs> starting to, and you just, but, but here's what's fun. When you get back and you're done, you get that feeling, you take the backpack off and all of a sudden like, you feel like you're going to like take off. You're just like so light. Like, ah, I could just run and I could, why? Because when sometimes you don't realize how heavy a weight is until it's off your back. And many times we need to be those people who say, you know what, Lord, help me take an honest assessment of the weights I'm carrying that are burdening me, that are hindering me from the race that is before me. And here, notice this word. It's, it's a small word, but it's important. It says, let us lay aside how many weights? Every weight. Every weight. In other words, we don't get to pick and choose, and many of us are guilty of half-hearted surrender. That's what I call it, half-hearted surrender. 
I give God just enough to ease my conscience, but not enough to fully submit to his plan and will for my life. But every weight must go. Now, I hear some people, okay, Josh, now you're going to tell me what the weights are, right? Nope. Because I don't know what your weights are. The Holy Spirit and you know what the weights are. What might be a weight for that person might not be a weight for that person. And what might be a weight for you might not be a weight for another. What you have to do, what this forces us to do is we take an honest assessment of how we're running our race. And, we, and then we see, oh, you know, I thought the Lord wanted me to do this, but, but that was the day I really wanted to do this. And all of a sudden, the tension starts to pull. And we feel that pull. And we feel that weight. We feel that extra burden. And it takes faith, doesn't it? To take a weight that you have become accustomed to and that you feel like is freedom and that you really like and cast it aside from you, trusting that what God has is better for you. That takes faith. And then he says, not only the weight, but the sin that so easily entangles. Sin here refers to any moral failure that puts us outside of God's express will. These are the things that tempt us with the lust of the flesh and the lust of our eyes and the pride of life. But perhaps the most sobering word in this entire passage for me is this word, easily. Do you see that word there? Mark it in your Bible. The sin that so easily entangles or ensnares us. In other words, the author understands something about human beings. It doesn't take much for us to get messed up and tangled up in sin, does it? Sin is so deceitful and it's so patient and it's so alluring that if we are not completely on guard, fully dressed in the armor of God, walking in the truth, we can, before we know it, be tangled within sin. I was, I, was, I was mowing my yard yesterday, another pastime I love to do. I was mowing my yard yesterday, and I went in between a couple trees, and all, I mean, it took like split second. You know the spider webs that are like not the, the you like, <laughs> like stretching everywhere with like those big spiders in the middle of them? All, I mean, I'm all up in it. And what do I try to do? I'm trying to, you know, and every, every move I make, I'm getting more tangled up in the stupid spider web. But is this not exactly what happens to the person walking in disobedience to God? Every step further you take into it, a little more step you get in sin's web. Romans 6.16, Paul puts it like this. Do you not know that whom you present yourself slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which you were delivered and have been set free from sin because, and you became slaves of righteousness." This is a powerful thought because he says, when you put your faith in Christ, all of a sudden the power that raised Jesus from the dead of the Holy Spirit lives in you. And here's one of the greatest lies of the enemy to the Christian. Sin is so strong that you cannot get free from it. That is not true. 
This has been another edition of The Ascending Life, a ministry of Grace Calvary Church with Pastor Josh Blevins. Thanks for tuning in as we study the book of Hebrews together. If this teaching blessed you in any way, we'd love to hear from you. Give us a call at 816-279-2090 and let us know more about you and what we can join you in prayer for. That number again is 816-279-2090. Or you can connect with us at theascendinglife.com. We're so glad you've been listening today to The Ascending Life, but we want to make sure this isn't your only source of spiritual nourishment. The Bible urges all of us to get involved in a local church, not just for the benefit of the body of Christ, but also for your growth on your own faith journey. If you live in or are visiting the St. Joseph area, we'd like to personally invite you to join us at Grace Calvary Church. We meet each Sunday at 8 and 10.30 a.m., and we'd love to have you join us. You can expect a time of fellowship, including worship and Bible study. For directions and more about Grace Calvary Church, visit our website at theascendinglife.com. Again, the website is theascendinglife.com. We hope to see you there. Our time with you today is coming to an end, but we're so glad you tuned in to today's message from Hebrews. Be sure to join Pastor Josh next time to learn more from God's Word, right here on The Ascending Life. Sin